0: welcome in to another episode of revere house radio i'm robert I'm Adrian. And we're here for a special joint episode as we are celebrating Patriots Day here in Boston. Exciting day, exciting episode here, Adrian.
1: Yeah, let's get into some questions, but I know you have some announcements to make before we do that.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to focus on some of the questions you all sent in uh, as we uh, feel it out, questions from visitors and listeners. And we're going to cover some of the most frequently asked questions associated with today and yesterday, I guess you could say, in 1775 for Paul Revere's famous midnight ride. Uh, But first, we uh, do want to especially thank the Boston Cultural Council for their continued support and uh, funding to help make programs like Revere House Radio and Revere Express possible. And uh, a major thank you to all of our listeners and to everyone, really, that has supported both in person at the Revere House, our, our programming, and and really uh, Revere House Radio, which launched uh, just about this time uh, last year. So we're coming yeah. up on a year, Adrian, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. We brought a lot of you know different uh, content over the past uh, twelve months here.
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been a whole year, but um, I'm really have enjoyed making this podcast, and I hope to continue to do so. So thanks to all the listeners who keep us going and and send us questions and content to address in future episodes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as we um, have this episode coming out this week, uh, we just want to say, of course, to, you know, stay tuned for especially on our, our, our social media accounts as we have, you know, new materials and certainly content over the last few days and this week that connects to the ride in 1775. Do keep an eye on our our YouTube page as well, that has some of the programming that we've been able to do uh, recently. Um, I think just this week into the program uh, that we were able to do a couple of weeks ago, a joint program with the Cyrus Dallin Art Museum about Dallin's famous uh, Paul Revere uh, equestrian statue in uh, the Paul Revere Mall in the north end. Uh, That's up on our YouTube page. So be sure to check that out if you're interested in. Uh, kind of the history of that statue, but then that gets into a lot of uh, to some extent what we're talking about here today, Adrian, right the myth making the building of mm-hmm. the story around Paul Revere, but all of it in some way or another circling back to uh April eighteenth and nineteenth uh seventeen seventy five so uh let's uh let's get into uh to some of the questions that uh, came in from everybody,
1: yeah, sounds good so Talking about that statue, right, that Cyrus Dallin statue, so famous for Revere riding on his horse, Um, one common question we get is, who is the horse? What was the name of the horse? Where did the horse come from? So uh, what do you have to say to that?
0: Yeah. It's a, it's one of those funny questions too, where, uh, you know, we've got some speculative answers. We have some information, uh, but on the whole, actually we don't know specifically what the name of the horse was to some extent, because Paul Revere at that time, the Revere family did not own a horse, which is always a bit surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at least a borrowed horse from Richard Devons. There's some possibility that maybe it was a, or Deacon John Larkin, I should say, uh, not Devons. Um, possibly a twice borrowed horse the the you know the the accounts are a little hazy in some of the the genealogy but some of the names and adrian will say this i think five times fast towards the end of the episode some of the names that we see are first shahrazad possibly uh, for the name of the horse but the more likely one if there is a name associated is brown beauty for the horse's Mm -hmm. name and that comes from some of the, um, you know, some of the, the genealogical um, reports from the uh, Larkin family that I mentioned. Um, all we have from Revere, though, Adrian, is, quote, a very good horse, is what he called it.
1: Yeah. So whatever the name, however easy or difficult the name was to say, apparently was a good horse. So yeah. <laughs> that's what matters, <laughs> it, right?
0: <laughs> horse did the job, for sure. But but I do think this point, and this is something, you know, that, that you talk a lot about, Adrian, right, is that while... Revere is so connected, literally, as we see through the, the Cyrus Dallin statue, um, you know, to his equestrian abilities, mm-hmm. it really wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense for a family like the Revere's to own a horse at the time in Boston.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the house itself is situated in a densely packed, densely settled neighborhood. So there's not a whole lot of space to actually keep and maintain and care for a large animal like a horse, and besides that, the actual town of Boston was quite small, so could easily be accessed on foot pretty much anywhere Revere needed to go or wanted to go, he could, he could get there by walking. So the horse really only becomes important if he leaves town and wants to travel longer distances. So yeah, to your earlier point, Robert, there are many, many years, uh, and especially in the North Square home that he didn't need to own a horse.
0: Right. And we'll talk about some of the other, you know, things that Revere did. Of course, he made other rides, not just his famous one, but mm-hmm. for those previous ones, it would have been a, a similar story. Revere isn't using his, his, his own horse. Of course he's making, um, you know, various trips of, of length with, you know, borrowed horses from, uh, you know, from, from other individuals. Um, but I think this, this general point about Revere making rides connects to Another visitor question or a listener question that we had come in, Adrian, about um, kind of the the ride itself, but maybe more specifically about the length of time um, for some of the segments of the ride, right?
1: Yeah. So we think he left, uh, kind of started his journey, if you want to call it that, about 10 p.m. on April 18th. Um, Is that, would you agree with that, Robert?
0: Yeah. So I mean, it seems like he left. The house or at least started the, uh, you know, the saga for the night, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere around uh, 10 p.m. from the house by, by his accounts. Um, the ride itself, once he was rode across the harbor um, by a couple of Sons of Liberty, once he actually started uh, the ride on the horse, it seems like the, the timestamp is somewhere around 11 p.m from there we kind of can, can piece it together for, for a few segments. And I think that's, you know, an important thing to to keep in mind about the whole night that, that we're really talking about kind of distinct, um, you know, periods and, and segments. So mm-hmm. it seems like he arrives at Lexington after some, you know, shenanigans along the way mm-hmm. uh, somewhere just after midnight. Right. So he's at, does finish his mission, reaches
1: mm-hmm.
0: John, Hancock and, and Samuel Adams at the mm-hmm. Hancock Clark House, somewhere around, you know, just after midnight, is there for a time. In Revere's words, he and William Dawes, who arrived about a half hour later, refreshed themselves, so maybe some fruit and drink, mm-hmm. decided to press on to the next town. Um, at which point um they were captured after a third writer joined them, Dr. Samuel Prescott. Prescott evades, they're captured for a time by a British patrol, Revere is at least. Uh, held maybe for an hour maybe a little bit more somewhere around you know 1 a.m to after 2 a.m and then Revere really we pick up again with him somewhere uh, around 4 a.m just before some of the you know first shots ring out at at Lexington Green so there are a few different you know distinct Mm -hmm. segments and and periods for this whole ride here Adrian. right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah and um, you know the one sort of comment that we hear a lot, I think which goes to this point, Robert, is did he actually complete his ride? Um, And to your earlier point, he did successfully make it to the Hancock Clark house. Um, So if you're counting that as sort of his primary goal, um, yes. However, trying to get on to Concord with Dawes and Prescott um, doesn't ultimately make it there. So uh, I think that kind of plays into Uh, some mythology around revere is his ride real or true or did he actually do it Mm -hmm. or is it a legend so um uh, taking time to kind of explain those different which you outlined i think is important
0: right and i think that's something that you know even in the the now increasingly longer, but relatively short time, you know, I've been at the, the Polar Revere house over the last two and a half years. I feel like this is one of the points that I've actually become a little more uh, militant on actually. He (laughs) did, he did finish his ride. He finished his objective. So if we're talking about this as like an objective driven evening, Mm -hmm. he did finish his objective. Mm -hmm. Everything else after Lexington was, was gravy, essentially was adding onto it. And I think that's where we get into some of these problems, right? Is that, that You know, Longfellow's poem from 1860, what, you know, really made Revere nationally famous Mm -hmm. has him cruising through Concord around, you know, around 2 a.m. or something like that. And we know that's just that that's just not the case. And is one of those, you know, several aspects of Longfellow's poem that that somewhat obscure what is otherwise actually still, I think, maybe even a, a, a better story than what Longfellow's putting out in his poem.
1: Yeah, truth is often better than fiction, right, when it comes to history, right? um but you know there was a high risk of of capture for revere um even starting out in the town of boston there was some anxiety that he wouldn't make it very far so there were a couple backup plans uh to kind of uh fill in the gaps should revere get detained um you mentioned the other rider going out of boston william dawes uh but there was another backup plan that uh Brings in our good friends and neighbors, the Old North Church in the North End. Uh, do you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think one of the you know one of the aspects of Longfellow's poem that gets obscured a bit is or obscures the the history is there's Revere as a solitary figure standing on the other side of the river in Charlestown, looking towards Old North Church, waiting for the signals, and sees two go up slowly. And that's just not the case. And in fact, it's not the case because Revere had done some advanced scouting missions. Specifically, he was out in Lexington um, last on April 16th, a few days before Mm -hmm. his midnight ride. And from what he reflected on later, we don't know exactly how this came in. If this is Revere having conversations with others, if this is Revere himself. But basically coming up with the, you know, with the notion that this mission could not be entrusted just to one individual. There needed Mm -hmm. to be, um, you know, signals put in place for information to go from Boston and to be able to cross the river, even if Revere and Dawes couldn't get out. So Mm -hmm. that's where this signal system comes in with Old North Church. Uh, One lantern, if the British soldiers would be leaving and marching out, which they knew they were going to do, um, one way or another. One, if they were taking the, Longer, physically longer, but logistically easier land route out of mm-hmm. Boston Neck and going going towards Lexington and, and Concord that way. Or two lanterns if they were taking the shorter, physically shorter, but logistically more challenging route across uh, the Charles River. And of course, mm-hmm. as, as we know, they, they were going the, the shorter route. So that's mm-hmm. the, the two lanterns. So that's where the signal system comes in. It was put into motion by Revere to reach Sons of Liberty on, on the other side of the river, but it was not for Revere himself. And, mm-hmm. and we do know that in fact, um, obviously Revere was able to get out, so was Dawes, but the signal system was confirmed on the other side of the river, so mm-hmm. it did work. Seems like it was a you know a handy, uh, handy maneuver for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a great idea. And I will take this uh, moment just to encourage any listeners, if you haven't ever seen a map of Boston in the 18th century, uh, I encourage you to just look it up on Google really quick I think it's helpful to better understand the actions of that night uh, if you understand the actual landscape of the town of Boston personally absolutely. I think it's helpful to kind of see um, you know the lay of the land so to speak um, absolutely where all yeah. of this action was taking place
0: and to, and to note that so much of that, or at least the, you know, kind of length of, of some of the water routes and uh, Mm -hmm. especially Boston Neck, I mean, so much of that has, has changed. And I think that's often a, you know, a surprising aspect, um, for visitors, especially if you haven't been to Boston, you know, how much land, um, you know, was created over the 19th century, especially. And as, you know, been getting a few laughs here and there from visitors recently, Adrian. But as I usually say, if you hit a grid system in Boston, if you hit a grid pattern in the north end, you know, it's not old. <laughs> that's all the new stuff. If it makes yep. sense, it probably wasn't there <laughs> during, during your first <laughs> time. Usually gets a laugh about 50% that, yeah, of the that's time. That's a
1: good rule of thumb. Good rule of thumb. Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, as, as you were saying, too, and I, I think you're alluding to this a bit, um, but Revere clearly by this point, as as we've established here, was not the only writer. And I think it's mm-hmm. both important to note he was not the only writer that night, but certainly even in a, in a broader sense. Right. He wasn't mm-hmm. the only writer for the Sons of Liberty or for New England by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have. Um... Many, many people sort of joining the night into the morning of April 18th, um, into 19th. But as you mentioned, he's um, riding all over New England for, um, you know, the Committee of uh, Communication. Is that what it's called?
0: Committees of Correspondence, yeah.
1: Committees of Correspondence, sorry. Um, But, you know, another name that pops up a lot for people locally here, especially is Sybil Ludington down in Connecticut. Um, and she wasn't the same time. It wasn't the same date as Revere, um, but just goes to show that there were people doing these types of important actions all over New England. Um, I think you have a few other Names to mention, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, Civil Luddington. We see her in in seventeen seventy seven, as you mentioned. We have Wentworth Cheswell, uh, who's a black man in New Hampshire, actually making uh, you know various rides for dispatches, in, in seventeen seventy four. Um, so we have these you know different um, individuals and different time periods going mm-hmm. both you know prior. Uh, to the midnight ride is a lot of information, you know, is being conveyed um, for the Sons of Liberty networks broadly construed, um, going up to to seventy five, as you know, committees of correspondence again developed about seventy two, and then we have you know provincial congress and continental congress, you know, we we start to see all these you know various triangulations of of information and. In locations along the Atlantic seaboard. But then even, even after that, as you mentioned, Ludington going into to 77. So we're thinking about, you know, as the revolution is, is progressing a bit, how these established, um, you know, systems continue, uh, to work, uh, after the fact, even, even as, um, the revolution itself, a little bit starts to move, um, a little bit past, um, a little bit past Boston or rather starts mm-hmm. to go a little bit further, further South than Boston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, But for Revere himself, I think it's, um, you know, going back to his ride a little bit, I think it's interesting to note that, um, you know, one of the questions we get is, number one, was he paid for it? Probably. We don't have a receipt. Um, He did put receipts in for a lot of those other rides that we're talking about. Uh, Mm -hmm. He could not have been doing this sort of work pro bono necessarily at -hmm. all for his family that, you know, that was definitely even expanding in this time. So probably paid. We don't have the receipt for it. Um, But I do think it, it gets into this question of, the family at this moment, Adrian, right? So we have Revere kind of dropping off the page somewhere around 4, 4.30 AM on mm-hmm. the 19th. But do we have information? Do we have speculation about what the rest of the family was doing either that night or going into the next few days with Rachel and the family back in Boston?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great point. And specifically thinking about Revere, he's an interesting figure because he is an artisan. He is you know, somewhat middle class working as a silversmith and a graver at this time. So he doesn't have the leisure uh, or the ability to just take off of work and do these sort of volunteer tasks for the Sons of Liberty. He has his wife, Rachel, at this time. Um, he has several children at this time to support. So um, he is a man who is participating in these actions, but, you know, putting himself at risk both physically and also materially for his family. So, um, you know, Rachel Walker Revere, his wife at the time, we don't know a whole lot about what she was doing. I have to imagine that they had spent many an evening um, discussing contingency plans, I would assume, especially because Revere had been doing a lot of sort of practice rides, if you will, or kind of setting um, things in motion in advance Advance. So this is not coming as a surprise to anyone, including Rachel and the kids. Um, we do know at the time he had a 15-year-old son, Paul Revere Jr. So there is speculation that Paul Jr. Ha- was sort of pegged as, uh, you know, the, 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 man in the designated
0: designated survivor, <laughs> if you will.
1: Yeah, yeah. While while the dad was was out of town, right? So. Rachel, we know from different letters and correspondence, we, we have a high degree of confidence that she was very capable and, and quite clever um, and fully able to kind of wheel and deal. She does some work to get uh, Paul Revere some money um, eventually and corresponds with him to meet up with him actually out of Boston. So we don't know exactly what the family's up to other than maybe being anxious. Um, for 24 hours afterwards. But eventually she does get permission to take herself and the children out of Boston. And they meet up with Paul in Watertown, Massachusetts. And that's where they, they live um, for the, about the next 11 months approximately while the town of Boston is under siege. Um, we do have some evidence that Paul Revere Jr., that teenage boy I mentioned, stays behind. Um, not 100% confirmed, but we think it's probably likely that he stayed behind in North Square. Uh, but yeah, I mean, stressful times. I cannot imagine being the mother of several children and trying to coordinate <laughs> with my husband who is right off being a revolutionary, you know, before cell phones. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. And I think uh first for listeners, if you haven't had a chance, I think a certain Adrian did a podcast previously actually on some of the aspects that we do know and some of the speculative aspects about what Paul Revere Jr. might have been doing in Boston at the time. So I would definitely plug that if you want to go back and listen to it. And I think, you know, an important point that you bring up here too, Adrian, just to you know remind listeners is that the Siege of Boston. Is really those British soldiers being ensieged you know, in 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 Boston? Mm-hmm. In, in Boston, they're the ones that retreated back to Boston after the mm-hmm. battle progressed on this day, April nineteenth, seventeen seventy-five. They're the ones going back into town, and really, they're surrounded by um, the uh, uh, the militia, the colonial militia outside. So it's Rachel and the kids otherwise would be supporters of the revolution trapped inside of town with these British soldiers, these harried soldiers who have lost, you know, um, or at least in terms of the casualties, hundreds of their uh, mm-hmm. comrades, um, some mm-hmm. dead, some some wounded coming back in. So you can just imagine how dramatic those sorts of events would have been as, you know, kind of night crept in on, on April 19th,
1: 1775. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think a lot of the Uh, citizens, particularly the citizens that we might label today as uh, quote unquote patriots or, you know, members of the Sons of Liberty and their wives and children, uh, anticipating some uh, lean times, I guess, as the siege descends on Boston, firewood, food access, textile access, you know, those types of resources getting cut off. So we think that was the main motivator for Rachel to get the get the family out of town.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of for our final question, I think that we had uh, coming in, talking about resources, the last thing that we have for Paul Revere on the night of his ride, so we're thinking, again, close to 4 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. on April 19th, is that he's moving a trunk of sensitive documents from John Hancock. He's removing this uh, from the tavern outside Lexington Green somewhere into the woods. And this is one of those big counterfactuals or speculative questions, Adrian. But what the heck? What the heck is in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the trunk? Do we know?
1: Uh, if only we knew. Uh, if anybody has any information on the trunk or its yes. contents, <laughs> please reach out to us.
0: <laughs> yeah, let us know. But it's yeah, it's um, one of those I mean, amazing think, bits.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what we likely was inside. And correct me if you disagree with this, but you know, documents which at the time would be considered treasonous documents. So very sensitive, really don't want any of those to fall into the wrong hands and get a lot of people in trouble. Um, But ultimately we're not really sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anything really, you know, smacking of revolution of, of war of fighting, of course, um as you say was treasonous definitely would not have played well for uh hancock and 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 for others not that they were you know hiding uh, by by any stretch of the imagination but we can only speculate maybe it was something even bigger could be money could be resources could be anything so you know mm-hmm. i'm sure there have been treasure hunters over the years you know looking for it as adrian said let us know stay in touch <laughs> if you happen to, to have you know some of the contents of that trunk we would we would certainly uh no, love love to know about them at least as would several of our uh friends and 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 partners along the way yeah so um, i think those are those are our questions from all of you. Thank you all so much mm-hmm. for, for sending those in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really uh, appreciate your, you know, your support, your continued engagement with the podcast here. Um, we will continue to, to put out, of course, new new content here on, on Revere House Radio, but we also have some expanded hours too, Adrian. if anybody wants to physically uh, come see us at the Revere House.
1: Yeah, as the weather's warming up and as we're able to, we are slowly opening up more and more. So, we recently added Wednesdays. So we're currently operating uh, Wednesdays through Sundays, 10 to 430 um, so we encourage folks to to swing on by if you're able to. We're not doing timed tickets or reserve tickets or anything like that. So you can come on by uh, at your convenience.
0: yes, yeah. so times are opening, dates are opening. Safety measures stay absolutely intact. They will for the absolute foreseeable future. We're doing tours uh you know, capped off and on on small numbers distanced mm-hmm. the entire time mass on. so, can be rest assured that we have, um, you know, followed safety protocols the entire time. We continue to do so to give both you and, you know, and the staff a, a safe experience visiting. Mm-hmm. Um, especially this time of year when we have, it's 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 so nice to be able to have those, you know, kind of physical connections at sites like the mm-hmm. Revere House to a lot of this history that we're you know we're talking about on the the podcast format here.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and even though we're not doing our typical in person. Um, Patriots week or locally here in Boston, April vacation week programming, which we typically do every April. um, We are doing a lot of things digitally. So watch our socials. um, And, uh, you know, our website check up regularly, we're always posting new content, new blog posts, new podcast episodes. So keep an eye on all that stuff.
0: Absolutely. And another shout out and thank you to the Boston Cultural Council. Another thank you to all of you for listening over the past year. Uh, We'll continue to uh, to keep bringing you some some great programming. Uh, So thank you so much. And we'll sign off here. Uh, So I'm Robert. I'm Adrian. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you soon.